feature presentation. Welcome back to another untitled movie review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, we're back. David Fincher, he's here. He's he's ready to go. He's uh, hanging out in WeWorks. He's eating McDonald's. And he's he saying direct- Netflix has the best quality control <laughs> of all. <laughs> God. Love the guy, but David... That's some, uh, I just made a movie for you speak. Um, yep. Oh yeah. Big time. But hey, they do have good quality control because this movie's kind of awesome, right? Yes. The Killer. We are reviewing David Fincher's The Killer, which is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, both Eric and I did see the movies in uh, a cinema as a Netflix movie uh, is usually not seen by most people. Um, but it is playing here at Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto. Um, I think it did get a, whether you can still find it in a cinema near you, I am not sure. Cause it did have a fairly, I think like one or two week release. It might've been extended in certain places, but, um, I'd suggest if you can see it in a theater, try to, I think a Fincher movie should always be seen uh, in a theater. If you can, unless it's Mank, then just let that stay on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Mank stinks, man. Um, Are you afraid you of the Mank? A, if you can see it in a theater, try to, I think the sound design in this movie is fucking incredible. And if you go to a cinema that has really, really good speakers like Tiff Bell Lightbox or, I don't know if it's playing in Dolby and Dolby Atmos and other places in the US, but the sound design specifically is something that stood out uh, to me, especially seeing in a cinema, which I think could be lost if you're just watching it at home on your TV speakers or your sound bar or something like that. I don't know. I haven't watched it at home yet, but uh, Eric, how are you doing? I'm good, Matt. I'm actually really excited to talk about The Killer because you saw it the morning I was flying out to Aruba, and then yeah. as soon as I got back, I had uh, bought tickets at the Lightbox to go and see it, because I only thought that it was playing exclusively. The wording was a little bit misleading uh, in terms of like what exclusively Tip was saying. Exclusively for a week, right? Yeah, but it was playing at Landmark Cinemas uh, in, in Whitby as well, so I think Landmark does have a deal with Netflix, because they usually get their stuff um, a week or two before the film hits uh, streaming. So um, watching it though at the light box, actually with my brother, Kyle was great. And it was, as you're saying, the sound design and the immersive nature of how you hear sort of, you know, the character insulate himself when he is, you know, getting his game face on. We see this in the opening uh, prologue yeah. is amazing and it gives new definition to corporate espionage in a way and you get what you pay for but what i was taken back by the most is it's funny it's actually weirdly a subversive satire yeah. and almost and, and i said this in my rogers review that it's basically a comical character assassination and what it's yeah. pointing at, and taking aim at is both the idea of what a hitman is, especially because you're only seeing it from the perspective of this character played by Michael Fassbender, who gives a cool, calm, and collected performance, mostly done in voiceover uh, narrative. But it's also making fun of David Fincher's filmography in a way, and also the kind of process. <laughs> yeah, the methodical nature of how he is exacting to the point of 
you know, being a tyrant on set that he shoots 50 takes to just get plan. (laughs) Yeah. The the way that, that, that this killer talks almost sounds like a director talking to an actor, you know, stick to the plan. Don't improvise. Don't show any empathy, you know, and he's, basically get forcing shot, this down exactly shot, exactly yeah we got to get the oh, shot make sure that you're on point lower your heart rate make sure that everything is good to go like it's it's all there and the then camera, there's a camera a gun in the right direction yeah yeah I, I agree and then there's even a little bit of jean uh jean pierre uh melville's uh le samurai as well which is this classic post uh noir neo-noir film with alain delon uh, in the lead role, and you kind of see, like, again, it's it's three times fast. <laughs> Alain Delon in the lead role. <laughs> Alain Delon in the lead role. Alain you Delon it. You it. in the You're lead really role. Good. You're really good. But yes, but you, I'm becoming the killer now. Uh, but what I was fascinated by was that sense of humor, and and I think a big part Very of that funny actually yeah. is how Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote the script, who also wrote Seven and did uncredited rewrites on Fight Club and the game, incorporates aspects of the genre that you're familiar with, but then plays them up in a kind of almost mundane kind of way. And then we'll talk about this even more, how corporate aspects of this storyline are integrated. Yes. And how it's very unflattering to things like WeWork and Amazon and Google maps and, you know, everything in between. And it just feels like it really is this weird takedown of all these things, even though it's also been made by one of these things. (laughs) He he did a little bit in fight club too. Very on the nose. Right. But, Uh, but um, fight clubs, the more, and and that's an interesting thing as well because like that will be the the sort of the main comparison within his filmography because when Fight Club was made it was very angsty and teenage esque yeah. in its sort of perspective on things of like capitalism you see, and, yeah. yeah like Edward Norton talking about filling his place with IKEA furniture and you see like you know his room basically shift into an IKEA photo showroom yeah. And then, you know, the voiceover narration of Edward Norton's character then slowly progressing as, I guess, what you would consider by this standard day and age, an incel, um, that kind of narrative plays out. But the character I was really feeling like a certain comparison to with the killer is Patrick Bateman. The way that Patrick Bateman in American Psycho talks about his routine, but then also says... I'm this killer. I'm good at what I do. I can get rid of bodies. Fuck yeah. Paul Allen. Also Jared Leto in both Fight Club and American Psycho. Yeah, um, yeah. But then you start to realize this guy's a bit of a knob. Yeah. <laughs> and a so is Michael Fassbender's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, killer. Because get hat just thinking yeah. that he's blending in. But like, maybe this is you, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I agree with you. It's very, very funny, which goes back to my seeing it in a the theater as well. Not only for the sound design, but it is more of a dark comedy than you're expecting. And I think feeding off the energy of a crowd that's not expecting that, I think, is a lot of fun. Um, I was surprised and taken aback um, with how funny it was. I think it's, um, you know, I think as brutal and funny as its lead character is something that I, I, I said right after the movie where. Uh, the movie is still vicious. It's violent. It's brutal. It's um, it, it takes no prisoners at times. Um, but all of that kind of leads to the dark humor. Like you mentioned the product placement in the, in the movie. Um, and just seeing like, again, yeah, how mundane an assassin's life could be and what, how they would go about 
doing that and having that career in our time period right now with the apps that are available, with the tracking, with the uh, products, and like you said, Amazon ordering things. And like it, it, it really is interesting to both see that and kind of take some of the, you know, whatever Fincher's trying to say um, with utilizing all of that product placement throughout the whole movie, starting off with McDonald's of him eating an egg McMuffin, but only eating the bottom bun to get more protein and less carbs and like things like that. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm eating a sausage McMuffin cause I saw it at 10 in the morning as I'm watching this movie and, um, and how he uses Amazon and all the card services. And like, just from the standpoint of not necessarily looking at what the, you know, what Fincher's trying to say with that, but more so just seeing how an assassin would operate today, I thought was really interesting of like, um, using a different airline each time, but then also collecting airline miles, which I thought was very funny. Um, and then like, but only taking coach, right? Like he never, yeah. he never goes into first class. Like he never pampers himself. And he even says, he in goes his, to the lounge though. He does go to the lounge yeah. and relax. And but he does say like in his, in his narration that in this day and age, in, in a technological world and social media, yeah. you can't disappear. You can't, you know, fall off the grid so and for a hitman, in, right? you have to be boring. Yeah. You know, you have to assume an That's identity that is so uh, plain. To that, be like a German tourist that just yeah. eats McDonald's. And he said, there's so many of them, right? You can blend in there. He's like, it's the cheapest, easiest way to get 11 grams of protein or whatever he says, or 20 grams of protein. And he's just like, you're, you don't stand out when you go to a McDonald's because there's so many people there. You're, but you will be noticed, but you just be noticed as a tourist. And I thought all that stuff was really interesting of like, okay, how would an assassin operate today? And that stuff I found kind of even though he's kind of a uh, yeah, a fuck up throughout the whole thing and whether it's just he's starting to fuck up or he's always been like that um it's funny either way but um i think there's a really great fight sequence with the florida guy the florida man um <laughs> i think Floridian. that yeah that i think is awesome and brutal in that house um and like i said there's some surprising kind of elements and Resner and, and Ross's score, I think, is quite good. Um, obviously, um, I will say the opening credits. I'm usually a fan of Fincher's credits, and I think that uh, you know, as a guy who's such a perfectionist, who puts his, you know, uh, he needs to approve every single aspect of a movie. And opening credits, I think most filmmakers would still have, you know, that's part of their film. But he we talked about him being like the blu-ray packaging and the and the trailers are all him and, and stuff like that where i would say this is such a weird thing to complain about but i thought the opening credits in the movie were terrible and it just weirdly started me off in like the wrong mindset but then quickly won me over right away um they're really fast and I, he did this in gone girl as well where i thought the movie was accidentally playing in like fast motion when I first saw Gone Girl because the opening credits kind of like fade in and out like really, really quickly in Gone Girl. And he kind of does the same thing here. Um, but I just think it's really ugly looking like the title treatment and like it looks yeah. really cheap. Like it looks like a VOD kind of movie. And um, But maybe that's, that's like, part of the point. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, he's um, he's not a guy that like simply lets anything go. Like he's 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 someone that 
understands each department that he's working with in terms of that collaboration process. So there's always a reason behind it. I'm not saying that like your, your criticism of it, I didn't like it either, but I think there is an intention behind yeah. how it's kind of sped up as though like you're watching, you know, when you watch something on Netflix or on a streaming service and sometimes you just kind of want to like skip the credits it's almost, almost like, like it's you doing that. You can do it, man. <laughs> yeah, because I beat you to the point or the, the punch. And that's kind of what it feels like a little bit in, in that way where it's like, okay, I know you don't want to – nobody cares about this stuff anymore. Like the way that he indulged with it in Panic Dragon Room Tattoo or – and- yeah, when he was doing almost like a parody version of Bond, you know, with Daniel Craig where like you see those those credits open like a Bond – opening so with with this it's almost like okay nobody has time anymore so let's just speed through this and like like come up with the I'm most not even gonna exaggerated up the skip credits thing right like, yeah uh, and and the sitcom aspect of it all because yeah. one the aliases that he goes by in in the in the film are all sitcom characters whether it be felix unger from the odd couple or uh, you don't think Archie anyone caught on or been like you have the same name as Oh, I'm sure they would be, but but maybe in this day and age where we're so detached from each yeah. other and we don't care, like Sam Malone and Cheers, it's almost like oh, you know, it's it's obvious, but but it's a generational thing too because the character also listens a lot to the Smiths. There's only one other song that I recognize, which is Portshead, um, when he goes back to his uh, villa in the Dominican Republic, but he listens to um, the Smiths and one song in particular. Uh, how soon is now from meet is murder is when he's kind of telling us at the beginning in that opening prologue in Paris through the, we work um, how he operates and, and that kind of moment of, of him assessing the building across the street. And when you're hearing the music in his ears and then it cuts to the, that oh, match. The sound design is great. That's when I first was like, Oh shit, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it, it plays it perfectly. It's like, okay, this is how you would hear it outside of his head and then inside. And mm-hmm. um, the way that we watch people watching, you know, like mm-hmm. Fincher has always been an interest, has interest in observing the perverse nature of people. And so there's that voyeuristic quality of how he doesn't have his own life, but he involves himself in other lives. And then, you know, the great, the greatest action set piece in this movie is the acting between Fassbender and Tilda Swinton in a scene that's very similar to, um, Viggo Mortensen and William Hurt in a history of violence, both a history of violence and the killer are graphic novel adaptations uh, written by screenwriters that are very much sort of formulating the story around the filmmaker that has a distinct style, whether it be Cronenberg or Fincher. And so that moment in particular, when you get to it, it's just this great scene of you're, you're seeing these two formidable actors going back and forth and having this conversation and Tilda Swinton, you know, is doing much of the, of the talking. Cause uh, you know, uh, Fassbender is sparse and, and reserved and um, only kind of says a couple of words here and there, but the way that he'll talk, like even when he says, thank you, it's kind of funny or, or mentions a certain word or, or has a sentence it's there's, there's humor to it. But, but again, going back to the Fincher aspect of it, of Fincher being in control, complete control in his head, He's always talked about like the movies he makes, he's always disappointed by because they never turn out the way that he thought they would be, even though a lot of his movies are good and they're, they're great. 
but the way that you have things mapped out in your mind, you never completely have it all figured out because there's always a miscalculation. Mm -hmm. And when you see Charles Purnell's character in one sequence, when he's in New Orleans, that is showing that you can't calculate how somebody reacts to something because it's their own. You think in your head, it's going to work one way, but, but it it, sometimes (laughs) doesn't. And then you lose control and then you have to pivot pivot. and, and it throws everything off balance in a way and so like those are the things that I but think it are ends up very working smart. out in the end which i think is yeah. uh, a, an interesting metaphor i'm totally with you on all of that um yeah i think the movie just is just fully and wholly entertaining from start to finish um i think it is you know probably you know when you think of the fincher's filmography probably will land maybe not something that's going to be as memorable as some of his huge heavy hitters but like I still think from start to finish, just like a, a entirely engaging and fun watch, weirdly. Like it's just like an entertaining movie. Um He's one I, of those few guys that can make something so depressing or nihilistic yeah. but be entertaining, entertaining. and rewatchable yeah. because Seven is one of those films that is such a downer, but I can throw that on any time and kind of enjoy it where like, say like something like Requiem for a dream one and done. I never want to watch that thing again where with this as well, it's like, it's, it's nihilistic. It has an existential quality of like what it's weirdly an easy watch. (laughs) Yeah. And it's very entertaining. And what does that say about us as consumers in this day and age? And I think that's a part of the point it's making as well about how we consume things or what we're consuming and what we're looking for and how we're almost desensitized to certain aspects of this, the way that the killer is and sort of how nonchalant he can be about it and how he's kind of has this down to a formula and the formula of one of these movies and how you expect things to play out. Mm hmm. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on, uh, from the movie? We can pretty much go full spoilers. Like it's, it's out on Netflix. So, I mean, we haven't really spoiled anything yet. So if you haven't seen the movie, please stop now and go watch it. Either just pop it on Netflix because it, it definitely is worth it. Or if it's playing in a theater, uh, please do. I think the cinematography was great. Um, we already talked about Reznor and Ross's, uh, score. Uh, you mentioned Charles, uh, Parnell, uh, that sequence is great. Um, as well like i liked the chapter-based storytelling in that it uh again don't love the title treatments or how it was like shown to us everything had like this artifice to it or this like um it just didn't i don't know like but it looks but it looks like like, it it, kind of looks like an airport yes right yes and it's very again. It's also very sitcom-y. It's like this week on the killer, he's no, in. No, and I agree this with place that. And, so I'm sure yeah. maybe that's kind of the point. But like, I liked all that of being like, uh, well, he's traveling from here to here. This is where he is now. This takes place in Chicago. This takes place X Y Z. Blah blah blah. Florida. Um, yeah. It, 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 for a globe trotting movie, like I think that totally works in the chapter base. And each one is like this. You know this revenge sort of revenge, but sort of cleaning up your own mess. Um, but I think he also likes it like, because yeah. there's a part of him that wants the excuse to do this. And it's given him the excuse because even though he's not necessarily the greatest assassin ever, according to his own voiceover and we see him fumble, which you could almost look at like it's a, a midlife crisis kind of thing. Like, 
weirdly like premature ejaculation where like the person that he once was, he's not he anymore. He needs to prove to himself that he can clean this shit up and then Exactly. But after. also maybe he's happy to do it yeah. because it's like, well, now I don't have these connections anymore that I have to worry mm-hmm. about. Exactly. Because like how much longer do I have now and, and yeah, like all and, this? how much longer do I have? But then there's that interesting aspect with the scene with Arliss Howard's character, who's like this like tech mogul kind of guy. And right. Yeah. He's kind of brought into the situation and he doesn't kill him. He just kind of threatens him. And I think it's just partly because he's too big of a, a personality within the real world that it would expose the killer who never has a real name, just, you know, the aliases he goes by. And so there's a part of it where it's like, he's, he's being smart with that where it's like, I don't want to get, bring any more heat down on me than I already have. And once he has that conversation with Arliss Howard's character, he takes that Rolodex card that he had and he throws it uh, on the street and the street sweeper comes and cleans it up. And it says clean sweep on the sweeper, which basically is like mission accomplished. You know, the game is over, you know, you're, you're done. And like those little clever details are what, make the intricacies of what Fincher's doing and his relationship with Andrew Kevin Walker. It's, it's not in any way whatsoever um, emotionally satisfying or like, it doesn't really have like any meat on the bone, but that's the point of it. Like it's just stripped down to its bare essentials. And you feel like, like this is some people are calling it a minor Fincher movie. I think it's kind of a bigger film than that. Like it's his best version of a Friday night, Flick. And that's what I mean. I don't mean any slight when I say maybe it's not up there with the social networks and the sevens and even for me, Gone Girl and, and stuff like that. But by no means, I think it's a minor work. Like I'll take a hundred million of these that are just, like you said, Friday night. I think that's maybe why it's sort of perfect for Netflix too, right? Like I think it is better seen in a cinema. Um, but I also think it's just like an, a weirdly easy watch that you could throw on on a Friday, Saturday night, and it's fully entertaining. It's funny. It's engaging. It's thrilling. It's brutal. Like it, it's got everything you want in kind of like a, a weird like it's sort of a popcorn movie like in and that's what it is based on a graphic novel, right? Like it's a comic book movie, really, when you think of it. Um and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that that makes it a minor work, right? Like I don't yeah. just because it maybe to your point doesn't have a ton of depth or or maybe nuance or meaning or anything like that. Like I don't know if you need that. Like it's what we talked about again. Another comic book movie, The Marvels. I think this is much better than The Marvels, but like sometimes it can just be that, right? And that doesn't mean that it's not you don't have to compare it to in the marvel sense endgame or or no way home or you know another comic book spider-verse or something like that it can just be like a fun popcorn movie and i think this is like a fincher version of that right like yes it doesn't necessarily need to be um uh, it's more in the line of like panic room but i think it's better than panic room right yeah. where and he talked again, about panic room being like the the reason why he made it he designed it as a film that you go and see with your friends on a weekend. It's not supposed to be an awards movie. It's not supposed to be intense. It's supposed to be like enjoyable, entertaining. And he is dissecting the Hitman movie because that 
subgenre or genre is so cliched because it's always the same. It's always somebody who's having an existential crisis or a redemptive arc and is an anti-hero. I just saw that Michael Keaton one. I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. It knocks goes away, or or even with you know Richard Linklater's Hitman. You're there. There's so many of these movies where like it's like okay, will we get the same story again and again and again? And this is doing that, but it's removing any of the emotion or as he says, the empathy from it, and he's just creating a streamlined streaming movie that plays well to the audience and moves at a pace that feels like as soon as you get in that mindset of the character, you're on your way. I think the only thing that works against the film is that Michael Fassbender is such a cool actor. Is that the character himself blend in or what? Well, that's part of it, but I think, I think the performance and, and, and him being Michael Fassbender He's still cool, you know? And I think part of the point of this story is to tell you that this guy is not as cool as he says he is. He's kind of um, one note and he's kind of a joke. And look how much of a fuck up he is as he moves along. Where yeah, Even that fight sequence I said with the Florida man, not yeah. an assassin style fight sequence. No, the and even when he, when he kills... drugs the dog too, right? Like yeah. how much to drug the dog. And yeah. but But when you have... Those scenes, they show you like this is how I have to do it, and then how it actually happens. The poor it's like, secretary is the only one he Dolores, man, like the, the only one where he seems like an expert assassin because it's a poor yeah. woman who's unsuspecting of it, right? And then, but I still think he's cool because it's Michael Fassbender. Yeah, but yeah. the point of the movie is like this guy's not cool at all. He's kind of a joke in a way, and he's just kind of a typical middle of the road hitman you know you get what you pay for and that's what everybody paid for with this and you know it's a mediocre dude he did pretty well for himself in the dominican and stuff like sure but but (laughs) but a lot of a lot of you know um generic white dudes sure that could be the point get on top and they do well for themselves (laughs) they fail and that's kind of what it is like this is the hitman is the the killer is the ron howard of of even the tech billionaire guy or the tech guy getting away with it right kind of yeah the one wanting to assassinate this guy and it didn't work out and he was naive to to them going well do you want us to clean it up and he didn't ask any questions and he was like yeah sure like even Fassbender letting him or the killer, the titular killer letting him off is kind of fitting, right? Like this, yeah. this white dude who's rich, who, who basically was the reason for all of this. <laughs> um, yeah. And Fassbender is the only person he lets go is that guy. Right. And then I think that's even something. So yeah, the movie rules, like it's, it's fucking awesome. Go see it or go watch it on Netflix. Um, I'm going to give the movie a four and a half. Um, I think it's, fantastic uh it's one of my favorite films of the year i'll take a hundred fincher movies like this over something like mank that is trying a little too hard for me um to be something more than it is but um mank just not for me but like i think this fincher is just so good at that fine line of either going the route of something that's bigger or more important or or you know uh, unsuspecting but like this this with gone girl even i think i would put this more in line with dragon tattoo and panic room of just being stuff that is meant to be more just enjoyable than anything else and i think he fully succeeds at that and i will gladly rewatch this movie again on netflix and i hope it gets a criterion release because i would like to own it on uh, like a good 4k version of it on disc 
like the game, um, yeah. which is another one that kind of fits with like it's in the structure of entertainment first than anything else. I gave it a four on Letterbox, but talking about it, like I'm going to bump it up to a four and a half because it is just pure entertainment. And when David Fincher's in his wheelhouse with this kind of movie, he does it so well, you know, he can do it in his sleep basically. And, and you mentioned like, you know, the pulpy nature of, of gone girl and the girl with the dragon tattoo and, and this and panic room. Like they're all movies that kind of just play within that, you know, whether it's about a serial killer or a misanthrope or, or just something that is like, okay, it's, it's, it's doom and gloom and despair, but he does it in such a way <laughs> that is so watchable. And yeah. that is hard to do because like a lot of these movies, can be suffocating in terms of it's like by the time you get to the end of them, there you're just, you never want to watch it again. And that doesn't mean that the movie's bad. It's just like, okay, well I, it's a one-time so watch. So intense or so, you know, exhausting in a good way that sometimes you don't want to go back to it. And yeah, um, but this is those things, but it does it in a way that's so satisfying. That's so rare in this day and age of filmmaking that you're almost excited to rewatch it. Like it was one of those films and we'll talk about poor things as well, where I could have watched it again right after it was finished. It was yeah. that much fun. And, and I'm sure you'll get even more out of it just in terms of like the choices he makes, but as just looking at it as pure entertainment, it's amazing. I agree. Uh, thank you all for listening or watching. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you can check out all of our other reviews that we have up right now for things like Priscilla and the Marvels. And as Eric mentioned, we will have a review for Poor Things and Saltburn and The Curse. So a lot of Emma Stone, a lot of Jacob Elordi, um, <laughs> a lot of awards movies coming up. The good thing about TIFF, you can check out all of our TIFF stuff as well as our TIFF recap on the last episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast, is we have a lot of movies that um, we didn't see at TIFF. So we have a lot to catch up with, with in November and December, which is kind of exciting. So a lot of these movies, uh, you know, that double feature we did of poor things in Saltburn last week was, um, very exciting seeing something like the killer um coming uh, like was was fantastic and something to look forward to. So we should have a lot of stuff over the next couple months as Eric and I are cramming for critics choice choice voting, which is early December. So our next three or four weeks will probably be filled with all the movies that didn't play TIFF. So um, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a good time. So a uh, one-stop shop for everything, uh, head over to Letterboxd, which is untitled underscore movies. Uh, and you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And you can follow me on all the social medias at EM6211. And my video reviews are on Rogers TV dot com slash cinema scene uh until next time what do you think the killer would order a taco bell um oh god he, he'd want to get rid of some of the carbs right because you could yeah. load up with protein because you get all the beef in a taco would he be a soft shell or a or a hard shell guy or would he go with something like a crunch wrap or I think he's a soft boy. <laughs> you yeah, he is a soft boy, right? He'd go soft taco, probably just scoop the meat out with a fork or something and not yeah. eat the tortilla or eat half the tortilla. Um, stick to the plan. And then Bye, take everyone. the hugest dump in the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Bye everyone. How many miles do you think he does have? Someone's got it. Some, someone on these things is going, wait a minute. You have so many miles on all these different programs and all these cars you rent. Someone, someone's figuring this shit out. All right. Bye, everyone.